ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Bethel Radio Hour, where Bible study and radio collide. Tonight in our segments, we will be discussing Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 22, building the Mount Rushmore of parables, and continuing our talks about immigration. I am Molly Kingston, your producer and fourth chair panelist. Joining me in the first chair is Pastor Ben Kingston. Dad, what is one ability that you believe everybody should possess? Do not smell pigs. Okay, so the inability, so the actually, inability. the inability to smell but pigs. But it is an ability. <laughs> that everybody has. Go ahead. That everybody has, so you believe everyone already has the inability to smell pigs? No, that's what I'm trying to tell you. No, but that's what it he's... Shouldn't it shouldn't needs to be an active ability to not smell them. To that not be able to smell them, to right. Smell. Because they're not offensive to me. Yeah, you're going to smell it, but you have to choose not to <laughs> smell it. Right, yeah. and my wife, Lord help, she's got a nose. I mean, if she, if we believed in incarnation, she would be a bloodhound because she can smell, you know, the smallest particle. And so it's very highly offensive to her. And I love hogs, so that's a problem. That's unfortunate. <laughs> It's unfortunate. Okay, next is, sorry, I'm thinking something else. Hey, you asked. No, 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 I loved it. And we're sorry, we did. And then I'm sorry, no, I'm not really. In second chair is Dr. Gavin Hooks. What is one ability that you believe everybody should possess? You ought to be able to whistle. The, oh, I agree. Everybody ought to be able to whistle. I Can can't, you not whistle? No, I cannot. Uh, I can't. I a sad day. I, yeah, it has plagued me my whole whistle, life. Gavin? I can't. Oh, that's what I thought. Uh, with fingers, without fingers. I can't do it with fingers. Inside whistle, outside whistle. There you go. Well, then Don't why make... would you want everyone to be able to whistle? Like, why oh, do you think it's it should just be? just another expression, a way to express yourself. Oh, okay. People know you're in a pretty good move or m mood or... Um, yeah, or if they're whistling... In the, the minor key. Finally, our third chair panelist is Ryan Mayberry. What is one ability you believe everyone should possess, Ryan? Driving. Yes, <laughs> that's mine, too. I said Everyone's that. Everyone's permitted, but that doesn't mean everyone can drive. Okay, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yes, I Ouch. said the ability to drive competently and safely. Mm -hmm. I yeah. would agree. And yeah. sometimes uh, evasively. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've got that's that. That's for down. the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, that's for the yeah, rest of us. Because I have, aggressively, I I have got watched that a coworker try to park in our parking spot, our place, two times now, and she has to try three times, and there's no cars around the space. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong, but it it, it makes L me mad every time. I get mad. She's not in scary. my way, but I'm mad about it. Okay, those in the audience, if you would like to share your own answer to this question, please text the number on the screen, and I'll share it throughout the show. This also applies to those listening online. You can put your comments on the Facebook post, and I apologize. I've been failing. I haven't had the last <gasps> two post-ups. I know. Uh, uh. I will get better on that. Um, so thank you for joining in on the fun when you do that. We're going to move on to our first segment, which is, like I said, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 22. I will start us off by reading the verses, and then... Dad, you can take it away, but I have to get to the verses. Uh, hold on. Here we go. 17 through 22. Chapter 2. Correct. Yep. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Very good. So this is Paul continuing to convince, if you will, and assure the Gentiles that even though for 2,000 years you've been told that you're not a part of us, you've been told that you're separate, that's no longer the case. And the mystery uh, that Paul talks about throughout his Pauline epistles is, is that that was really never meant to be the case. It happened, and the Jewish people became bigoted towards any and everyone that wasn't Jewish. And so that message got clearly communicated. You're not welcome around here. But once Jesus came and split that veil and provided salvation for everyone, man, woman, boy, uh, girl, uh, bond, nor free, Jew, nor Gentile, black, white, red, yellow. And so it says he came and preached peace to you, which were afar off. Those were the Gentiles. And to them that were nigh. So the Jewish people were those that were nigh Jesus, if you will. They were his very own, but they needed the gospel just as much as the Gentiles did. And that's something that, that the Jews really struggled with. That was a thing of pride that they had to overcome. And, you know, S.M. Lockridge says that you'll never admit that another man's your brother until you admit that you have the same father. Well, the, the Jews had to embrace that, but the Gentiles had to embrace it too. We belong. And then he says... Uh, that you have access by one spirit unto the Father. And, of course, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. And we've talked a lot about that when you're saved, the Holy Spirit possesses you, indwells you, if you will, baptizes you, and makes you a child of God. Well, as a result, you're no more strangers and foreigners. Uh, so the first thing that Paul is saying is that we're one nation now. Under God, we're one nation. And then he goes on, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Guess what? It goes deeper than one nation. We're one family. We're one family. And then he goes even further. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together. Here it is. Grows into the holy temple of the Lord. One thing the Gentiles were never allowed to do, and that was to enter into the temple because they were unclean. But Jesus makes them clean. And so he, he is just essentially pouring theological grace all over them in this situation. Other comments? Yeah, the, this passage of Scripture Molly brought out last week, a very interesting contrast uh, about the Tower of Babel when God intentionally divided people. Right. And I, you know, I've been thinking about that contrast all week. God intentionally divided the people so they wouldn't be united without him. We were, into, we were designed for unity with him in a relationship with each other and him as an assumption of our relationship. And his son paid the price to build this uh, as we were originally designed to do, have a relationship with each other and him involved. Um, so if, that was, if that's a little bit better answer than what we had last week, uh, he didn't want man unified without him. That was not the design of man. Right. Uh, ultimately, that would be a might is right situation. Whoever's Correct. in charge is going to tell you what to do, and you've got no individual choice. But in this case, all these individuals are made together into one body, one dwelling, 
uh, one home, if you will. I also have wondered if that's why in the end of times, the world tries to become one nation again, you know, one government and things like the kind of like the mind frame of the people at the Tower of Babel. If we do this together, like God said, there's nothing we can't do. Well, and, and the whole purpose of the, uh, unless I've missed something, uh, the Tower of Babel was basically them, you know, showing God we can do whatever we want. We're to do. just fine without you. That's right. We, and we'll show you we're going to build a tower to heaven. You know, and we're going to access heaven by our own strength. Well, that's... Imagine the pride in that, that being as primitive <laughs> as they were thousands and thousands of years ago, right. to think that then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I and mean, you know... How far we must have come. Right, you, you think of the skyscraping abilities that we have today. Yeah, you and know, they, they back then thought, we're going to reach God by building this pile uh, of rocks. And, and, and honestly, God has kind of done us a solid in that, because, you know... I'm sure most people now that start to think like that, think, oh, yeah, remember that Tower of Babel thing? It didn't exactly work out. <laughs> I did have um, one question about when you when you were reading it, actually, it came up again, is the, the thought of a world church and then, in contrast, the local divisible body. How does that cope? Like, where does the local divisible body come in to hear in these verses? Well, first of all, he, th this is the book of Ephesus. I'm sorry, Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. So just about everything in a book of the New Testament is pointed to a specific local New Testament church. Mm -hmm. So w what we've got going on here is the Gentiles in this church are being told you have just as a rightful place at the seat of God as the Jews in your church does. So I, I, I don't think that we need to, if you will, twist this to the point that we say that, okay, well, there's a universal mystical church here mm. because it, this book was written to a, a local visible church. Right. Mm -hmm. but, but he's dealing with a specific problem in that church. There's probably more Gentiles than Jews in this church. Mm -hmm. And so he's trying to help both the Jew and the Gentile because, you know, the Jew is sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, he's right. And the Gentile's going, is he right? Is he right? Do I really have the same rightful place as the Jew sitting over here? And, and, and yes, you know, he does. Now, so the, let's deal with that just for a moment. Um, the quote unquote universal church of Christ, 95% of time, that in the New Testament that the word ecclesia is used, it is to a specific local visible body of called out believers. The other 5% of the time it's referring to, if you will, a universal aspect. So what those like myself and BMA churches believe is that yes, there is certainly a universal aspect of the church of Christ. I would even prefer the word family. Uh, every saved individual makes up the family of God. The church of Jesus Christ uh, certainly in the end times will be everybody that is saved, if you will. But here on earth, right here, right now, each local visible body of Christ is a just that. In other words, uh, Bethel Baptist Church has everything she needs to minister and to do the gospel. Uh, but the same is true for Oak Grove. The same is true for friendship and the such. And, and if that doesn't answer. No, that, that did. Okay. I didn't ask it very specifically. I was asking if this supported the universal ah, idea gotcha. of the church. I got gotcha. you. 
That would be an interesting thing to look at, those particular 5%, you know, verses that, that deal with that. Um, I think with a, a precursor reading, it would be pretty obvious when God is referring to all of us. And then, like I say, every, because almost all, especially with Paul's, he'll say to the church at Colossae, to the church at Ephesus. And refer to them as daughters. Yeah, right. I also thought it was interesting the um, word strangers came up again. And, of course, I don't know what the original, I guess this would have been a Greek, a Bible written in Greek verb uh, um, word was. But I just thought it was interesting that it connected there to what we've been talking about, about Correct. immigration in the precarious moments and how this it talks about assimilation, that in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple, you know, kind of showing that as a Christian, like I said before, we start off sinners, we become Christians, and then we are assimilated into the body of Christ. Right. <clears throat> and the assimilation comes from the people that are saved. They do away with their old ways, and they embrace the new ways of Christ. Assimilation. Uh, you know, we did talk about with immigration that verse that you know in the old testament uh to love the stranger you know in the gate and so uh today's time that are for open borders have tried to use that against us and that we should love the stranger well those two words aren't the same word the uh, hebrew word stranger in that particular verse was dealing with the proselyte and so this is the foreigner the stranger who has come over to Jerusalem and or Israel and said, I, I want your God. I want, I'm going to be circumcised if I'm a man. I, I'm going to uh, buy into the culture. I'm going to learn the language. I'm going to become an Israelite. And, and that's a proselyte. That's someone who has been converted, if you will, to the Jewish quote unquote religion. And God is telling them in that Old Testament verse, you are to love them. They are no longer a stranger or a foreigner. And so Paul is basically borrowing that ideal here, you know, uh, that you're no, you're no longer. Now, therefore, you are no more a stranger because or a foreigner. Because of a choice that you made. Because mm -hmm. of a choice, choice that you that made. You accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Anything more to say? I'm good. All right, we're a little ahead of time, but we'll go ahead and move on to our next segment, which is the Mount Rushmore of Parables. This was fun. I spent a lot of time on this, probably more than I should have. Well, that's good because I realized... <laughs> it's a very short segment, Gabby. <laughs> yeah, no. I realized how little <laughs> I knew of parables, actually. Really? Yeah, or, or what I considered parables. Oh. Mm. What did you think was a parable that isn't a parable? The one about the widow who only had like two coins and like gave all of it. I Correct. That that's not a parable. That's a story. That's an actual that story. Actual that's happened. Yeah. I thought that was a parable. So like I looked at the list and I'm like, it's not there. And so, well, then I was like, oh, well, because it's not a parable. <laughs> she gave it all. That was a good example. Yeah. All right. Who's up? Yeah, you who's are. <laughs> no, uh, you guys, don't let me go first because I'm going to oh, okay. hold Okay. Time, well, then so. let's have Ryan go first. Okay. <laughs> So I went with uh, the sower first, mm. and I put a little note of why. Uh, so is this number four or number one? <laughs> well, oh, yeah, you got to rank them. The George gotta Washington or okay. Abe Lincoln? Uh, we'll go number four, the sower. Uh, put how faith and actions combine, the lost sheep, the intimacy of God's love, 
the unforgiving servant, forgiveness, obviously, and then the talents uh, for the importance of good stewardship. Okay. Very good. Number one. I would like a definition of the, of the second one. Say the second one the again. The second one, the lost sheep. Yeah. What did you say? Why? The intimacy of God. Intimacy. Mm. I didn't hear that word. I thought it was he, a different he word. He left the 99, he left the 99 to, to, find to find the one. one. Yeah, right. because just another sheep to most people, but to right. him it was everything. And that's uh, Luke 16, if my memory serves me. There's yes. three parables of something, something lost mm -hmm. in that chapter. It's good stuff. Very good. All right. I'll go next. Um, I don't have my numbered. Okay, so I guess do we'll we want this the, the audience yeah, to send in there. You guys can obviously send it. If you want to. Mount I have my phone, so I'll see it if you send it. So um, probably the fourth one for me is the three servants given talents, and that's in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Um, I put this on there actually because I don't completely understand it, and so that's like something I need to like look up more, because it, it always made me think that the master who gave the talents, and then he was very, in my opinion, rude, <laughs> and maybe it's because I would have been, I would have been that person, who was like, okay, I don't want to lose what he's given me, so let me put it in a safe place. It. Yeah, I don't think I would have actually tried to like m make money off of it, and when I read it the other night. It, the servant said, well, I know you to be someone who collects things you don't sow. And he said another thing. And I was like, well, yeah, so that seems bad. If he's taken other things, like he's taken other people's stuff, I wouldn't want to make him more money. So I think I've completely missed the point in that parable. So I put it on there so that I might maybe go back and study it later. Um, next one, also people being rude. Invitation to a great <laughs> banquet <laughs> in Luke 14, 16 through 24, when, you know, the master sent out uh, invitations and yep. nobody came. No one came, and so he had everyone else, all the beggars and um, the lowly people come. I like. I mean, obviously, I like that um, simile to us. The money lender forgives unequal debts, and that's Luke seven forty one through forty three. I have a theme because that one also, the dude was rude, and then he came back and was yeah. That one. So is that which one is that? Where that one is where he. The master, servant. yeah, yeah. The master forgives a servant who like owed him five hundred dollars, and then that servant was like, "This dude owes me ten. I'm beating him up and yep. throwing him in prison." Yeah, and, and the master had an issue with that for some reason. Yeah, for some reason he was like, "Well, that's not cool." And so I like, I like I said, I have a theme: of people being rude. And then the last one is faith of a mustard seed. Mark, well, uh, technically my first one is my favorite. It's the faith of a mustard seed, and that's in Mark four thirty through thirty two. And I just like that because it shows how much faith can do. Say to this mountain, move. Move. So uh, number four, the unforgiving servant. <laughs> uh, number three, the talents. Those two have made it on all three lists. Yeah. So uh, number two, the rich man and Lazarus. And then number one, the pearl of great price. <laughs> Kingdom of heaven is like a man that went to a field and he found a pearl uh, of great wealth and riches, so he went and sold everything he had so that he could buy the field. And, of course, that's Jesus. Jesus is worth everything we have. If it takes everything we have, that's why I love that song that we sing, um, I give all, everything I have just to know you, you know. So, okay, Gavin, yeah, where, your, where, your, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. That's right. Mm -hmm. So, so... I didn't know this was a controversy, but when I was working on the second book, I, I included The Rich Man and Lazarus as one of my, my stories. And it, it's controversial, apparently, to some people that this is a parable, hmm. that it's, it's, 
It's some people I Googled feel it. It is, it is a parable. Well, but so they the think it actually happened? Because if Google right, says it, they think that it, well, because a specific name's given. So, right, so no other, no other individuals. I, I know. There is controversy. And uh, the, the other term or the other um, Christian circles term for this is Lazarus and Dives. Hmm. Dives is the term for rich, uh, hmm. the, the rich. Hmm. Um, so it's one of my favorite stories because it's a case where Jesus broke the rules in favor of loving someone. Hmm. Um, so the rule was Abraham told him no, nobody can get a communication from here, from the place of torment back to earth. And his brother made the plea, plea it, you know, somebody comes back from the from the dead, they will certainly listen. And Abraham said, no, they've got the, the, the law, law and the prophets. prophets. And the law and the prophets, of course, are based on the core principle. But the story did get out. It was the story of his suffering. He wanted to get out to his brothers. And he was told, "You keep this. it's against the rules. You can't do that. Jesus right. broke the rules and told the story yeah. on, on earth. And I, I, I know this is a bit... Uh, over the top, maybe sensational, but what if this man's brothers were in the hearing of Jesus when he when he said it, when he told the story? Um, and who who knows? But I'm sure there were other rich people there who had loved ones who'd gone on and got the story, got this truth that you know you you really should get right with God right. before you pass away. So that's one of my favorite stories, and and I put it at four because I'm not really sure it's a parable. Could be a, could be a true story. I'm telling you, it's a parable. But pastor says it's a parable. Okay, it's number four, and I got I got a tie for number four. That's that that one came from. Uh, Wait a 16. minute, you gonna do five? I told you, I, I just thought about this too much. <laughs> so uh, the the tie was uh, uh, the rich man, the t the ten thousand talents. Yeah, that's, yeah, Because yeah. that was a per that's a perfect demonstration of sometimes how we are. We're given a lifetime of forgiveness, and then we hold a, mm -hmm. a two dollar debt against somebody. Um, in the grand scheme of things, that's exactly what we do. We won't forgive. Amen. Um, but you don't know what they've done to me, Gavin. That's <laughs> And you don't know what they've done to me. That's right. So, and, and we don't know what Christ did on the cross for those very amen. sins. Amen. So his suffering wasn't enough, that's essentially. Right. That, that's a, what you're saying. Yeah. Look, i got to get a pound of flesh, too. Yeah. Then we'll be good. Uh, number three, so those are, those are tied for fourth. Number three, the wheat and the tares. Uh it gives you some insight as to why God doesn't doesn't execute his judgment because the even people who don't know Christ have influence on our lives. And if they're pulled out, plucked out, it, it affects us adversely. That's right. Um, so they must have their full time and exposure and a chance to accept the gospel. And when the when the harvest time comes, they'll be separated. Number two, the ninety nine and one. Uh, again, I just Jesus' investment in one person, you ma you matter to him. It's pretty pretty solid. And number one, the prodigal son. Uh, a little bit of my life story in that story. So. Amen. Uh, we went to a Awana conference years ago, and this real big guy stands up to introduce the. Some, some of you maybe were there years and I mean, this was years and years ago. And he shared the story that when he was a little guy in Sunday school, apparently he was a ring-tailed tutor. <laughs> and his Sunday school teacher had just, you know, she basically lost it on him one Sunday and said, you're never going to amount to 
anything. Hmm. And he said, you know, it, it hurt me. It hurt me bad because I, I love this lady. He said, I looked up to her in the whole nine yards. And he said, but even though as negative as that was, that set me on a path <laughs> to prove her wrong. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, now, here I am, an Awana commander of, uh, you know, a huge Awana program. And he said, I make sure I tell every ring-tailed tutor in our, <laughs> you're going to be right. something someday. Right. I love you. Amen. You're a challenge, but I love you, you know, because the commander has to deal with the problem children, you know, and the such, as a general rule. Okay. Awesome. Well, we'll move on to our mystery topic. Tonight is between Dad, Uncle Gavin, and Ryan, because I went last. You notice the theme here that Molly always gets to go first. Do y'all notice that? Huh? It's a we kind of forced it on her last <laughs> <laughs> You kind of oh, did. I wasn't okay. ready. And it's Ryan, Ryan. tonight. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so mine, uh, I didn't really have anything too deep, but uh, I was curious. I was thinking about, you know, mentors that I've had, and I wanted to get from each person one personal mentor that you've met face-to-face -face, and then one that you've known virtually by listening to them online. Mm. Uh, for me, the personal one would be, uh, I've, got, I've had a ton, but then one that I was thinking of at the time was uh, Tom Martin. I went and did a lot of work out at their house because um, we live pretty close to him. I live with my parents. Sure. And uh, he, did, he had a big influence on me when I was figuring out what I wanted to do as a career and just learning how he got into what he was doing and just little pieces of advice he would give me. It was invaluable. Uh, so I, I miss him. And then the virtual one would be Matt Walsh. I listen to him all the time, basically. And uh, things I learned from him were to be strong in my convictions because I've looked back on arguments and stuff that I've had in the past and <laughs> realized that how poorly I handled sure. how much ground I gave, all that kind sure. of things, and to be tactful. There you go. Yeah. Amen. Uh, interesting about Tom, because Tom was a, a huge mentor to me as well. And I think for Tom to hear me say that, it, it would shock him and maybe even humble him a little bit, because he, he always thought it was the other way around. But even though... Tom will tell you he wasn't the biggest spiritual giant in the room. Tom was a man of substance, mm -hmm. and he had a desire to share that substance with other men. And he did well. And he it. did well, yeah. He, he called me to his house one day and kind of told me how the cow ate the cabbage. <laughs> and, and I appreciated it so much because it benefited my family and the whole nine yards. But um, so uh, I'll just kind of honestly off the top of my head, my probably my best, biggest mentor I'm like, you have had tons. Uh, Jerry Jolly. Uh, Jerry Jolly was, uh, Jerry Jolly and Gerald Mitchell were the two rock star preachers, if you will, uh, in the BMA, which, you know, isn't saying a lot, you know. Uh, one preacher said, if BMA is all God has, he doesn't have much. And, and I agree with that. And that's a humble approach, but I think it's, a, it's an accurate approach. We're an association of 1,200 churches in America. And so you, you've got to know your role. And, and know your place. But within that 1,200 churches, everybody, especially in the 1980s, knew Gerald Mitchell and they knew Jerry Jolly. And Jerry Jolly was one of the few pastors of a church that actually grew. And so when I was growing up as a kid, and then my dad went and pastored a church in Jonesboro, Arkansas, I, I got to see, you know, firsthand the, 
how this guy operated and how God blessed his ministry. And then when I went to college, uh, he came in and preached. And it, it was it was like sitting at the feet of John Maxwell type thing, you know. And, and it was just amazing. So when I get the call to consider being a youth director, I had to overcome my fanboy desire. I'll do it, I'll do it, you know, and, and really pray through it and make sure this was God's will and, and this wasn't just me chasing a dream uh, to be mentored, if you will, by Jerry John. Long story short, it was God's will. And for two years, Brother Jerry poured into me and um, he, he lost his second wife uh, two days ago. So that's a sad oh, deal. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so the other, what was it? The one uh, that you have at that. Virtual. Digital, yeah. It, it would probably be closer to a book set setting for me, but it would be John uh, MacArthur okay. uh, because I've just read so much of his stuff. And uh, the, the thing I love about John MacArthur is he is a flaming Calvinist, but he allows you to not be. I love that. I know precious few like that. And so, but this guy has so much wisdom I mean, he translates his own Bible, if you will. He's got that type of knowledge, and it's just amazing. Gabby, your turn. Uh, so <clears throat> this is probably as a product of, of my life experience. I, I didn't have one individual that necessarily was my mentor, and I didn't get close to anyone. Uh, and I, I look back almost intentionally. My dad and my relationship wasn't that great, and I didn't really know how to approach a relationship with a with a mentor-type person. But um, people that mentored me, or at least I looked to them as a resource, John Smith probably is the first one. Uh, when I was very young, he was here, and I was learning how to be a Christian, really, uh, all, kind of all over again. Uh, Eugene Bowerman was a, a mentor of mine and a friend of mine. I would say he would, he became a friend of mine, and because of that, I he became a mentor. Rich Hoff, um, mm -hmm. and not never in um, a close interactive circle, but he always checked on me. And he, you know, he let me have my space, and sure. I guess he knew my history. Um, but he'd check on me, see how, how I was doing, which was meant something to me. Uh, Ken Burnett. He was the person that taught me that it's okay to enjoy life. Amen. He, he had a very high responsibility in life. He ran a business, but he enjoyed himself too. Oh, yeah. And that, that was really important for me to learn. So At least two weeks a year. <laughs> At yes, least. Florida, that's right. Religiously that's right. took a two-week vacation. A night of the week, uh, yeah. seeing a hockey game yeah. with his family. Um, and, and that really slept in on Saturday. Got, got into the blood of the, the family, of the Burnett family. Amen. Yeah. I was told so, as a staff member, do not call the Burnett house before 10 a.m. on Saturday. On Saturday. Do not. Yeah. Yes, yes, sir. <laughs> uh, virtual Robbie Zacharias, hands down. I, I know there's controversy about his later life, but he taught me some things that I needed to know about how to express my faith, how, how to look at my faith, and how to express my faith. Uh, Frank Turk's in the same category. Mm -hmm. Adrian Rogers, I listened to him uh, mm -hmm. five days a week for 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, still every once in a while I listen to him. Uh, and David Barton changed my life with his book, Original Intent, mm -hmm. and I consider him a mentor. Yeah. Um, I kind of agree that I don't know if I can point out to one person as a mentor, like who I would say is my mentor, other like resources I think is a good word. 
um, probably just because I had such good mentors in mom and dad. So I didn't really have to look outside of the home for that. But there's like Mandy Miller was a good mentor, especially like through music and things like that. Um, and then this is kind of a weird one, but uh, Grandma Mary. So I didn't really meet Grandma Mary outside of maybe one or two times when I was five. But through all the stories and things that I've heard about her, I've always aspired to be her. Um, and I've met her bones a lot in the, in the graveyard because I go by there a lot too. So that's those are the mentors. And then virtually, this is scary, but probably Stephen Crowder is my biggest mentor. No doubt. <laughs> um, and, and it is scary. And it is yes. scary. Yeah, because uh, he's probably the one I watch the most and who I like to get my resource, again, is a good word, my information from and different things. Um, I, someone texted from the audience saying that, well, actually, it was Christina, that Cindy from Friendship and Don Kingston from Bethel Growing up were her mentors, and then Priscilla Shire um, is her mentor virtually, which I agree Priscilla has um, done a lot of yes. good things, both in in books and in the movie, obviously, was a good one, too. Yeah, because she was the lead role in, in the, the war room. War room. The wife, yeah. Yep. All right, very good. I liked that topic, Ryan. Thank you. Very good. Uh, so we're going to move on to our break, <laughs> which is the questions game. So this is another one that I am making them do, and I, we're just going to see what happens with it. So this this game, basically, I'm going to set a timer, and for, why? Well, no, I'm not going to set a timer. What we're going to do is we're going to have a conversation and questions only, and then if you don't if you say a statement or something that's not a question, then you're out and you're out of the conversation. Oh, so I can say a statement and get out for it. Oh, <laughs> well, and the person I'm who messing. says the longest wins, and uh, I have nothing for it, but it, you get bragging the, rights. You the know, glory. What I, the glory of only talking in <laughs> questions. So do I... So is there any point to this? <laughs> a comedy, maybe? I don't no, know. No, he was starting I think you're out. Oh, dang <laughs> it! I did <laughs> think of it. No, so we'll give you a do-over. We'll give you a do-over. <sighs> now I'm bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay. Well, I don't want to start it because now I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so do we have to have a specific to topic? Is it any topic? Do you have a topic you want to talk about? How can we lead discussions with questions? Is, is, do we have a mentor that did that? Think about it. Uh, yeah, I stink at this game. Yes, Jesus was a mentor. I wonder how he started it. <laughs> was that good I enough? Didn't not he sure. ask a question when somebody asked him a question? Did he employ the Socrates method? Did I, Socrates have a method? <laughs> I believe. Did Jesus know Socrates? Yeah. <laughs> was it not of asking questions? Was Socrates before Jesus? Is Jesus the mentor you were talking about? Jesus could have been the mentor that I was talking about. <laughs> that's, that's not a question. That's a statement. By, that's a statement. Yeah, I'm out of that. Yeah, I, I made it. Up. I made, tried to make it sound like a question. <laughs> you did. Yeah, just because you raise your voice at the end of it doesn't make it a question. It Sorry. We had a, a professor that always ended in an up. It doesn't make it, it didn't a question. <laughs> What does make a question? <laughs> I, 
I officially quit. <laughs> <laughs> That's my statement. That's good. Statement. That does I'm make a question. That, that was good. How would you like to end this? Do we have to end this? <laughs> <laughs> would you like to? Is this a millennial game? Because these guys are good at this. If what do you mean, would I like to? <laughs> <laughs> are you interested at ending the break? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> there go. Ding. Perfect. Very, very good. That hey, was good. If guys. we took the exact amount of time we needed, not really. We still have a minute, but we can move on to so, the precarious so moment. So let's take this minute for one thing. I believe that we ought to do a segment soon. If not, it won't be next week, but because next week is we start our Thanksgiving break, I already right? made the schedule. Say again? Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I think we need to address the whole how to find a mentor hmm. and be a mentor. Because, you know, we, we've all obviously been affected by our mentors. I think that would be a good subject to help people, you know, we need mentors. You know, well, it can you be still have a mystery topic. Like it's still I available. Got else. To, okay. Well, I was just saying, if you want to talk about it, you something can use it good. as a mystery. I topic. could. I'll put that in my notes. But we could totally enter it in. Okay. So precarious moment, chapters twenty, twenty-one, and twenty-two. When I was reading them, I realized we probably could have done more. But the next chapter was really, really long. So I don't know if it, it'll take the whole time that we need tonight, but. These chapters, um, again, we're still talking about immigration, and um, they kind of laid out more of the early, no, I'm going back, JK, talked specifically about immigrants um, that were Christian or Muslim, and then th how we got to where we are, and also answered the question of why have borders at all. So does someone want to start off with the chapter 20 talking about Christians or Muslims? So, unfortunately, I didn't bring my book, but I did prepare for this uh, segment. So, essentially, uh, this is where he's dealing with the reality that, with the exception of uh, Trump's administration, this nation has not been very receptive of Christian immigrants uh, in the last 20, 30, 40 years. And we have taken far more Muslim immigrants uh, and the such and the problem there is, is that Muslims do not assimilate near as well to our way of life, our constitutional way of life, if you will, our Christian founding way of life, and, but, but Christians obviously do. And uh, especially in the Middle East, uh, Christians have no other place to go. Uh, if we as a nation don't receive them, they have no other place to go. And uh, Iraq, for instance, had a million Christians before all of the turmoil started there. They're down to 175,000 or something like that. Yeah, that was exactly right. Because yeah. of immigration or because no, of... No, because of martyrdom. Um, so it starts off saying that Christians worldwide are now being killed at a higher numbers um, than at any time in world history. Some 90,000 are martyred for their faith each year. And so it talked about how in... Iraq in 1991 there was 1.5 million Christians and today the number is only 175,000 um, and the statistic that you mentioned about the United States has been very unsympathetic to persecuted Christians 99% uh, of the 12,587 Syrians granted refugee status in 2016 were Muslim and only a hundred of the refugees were Christians so, so it's, it's a serious you know problem 
when a Christian doesn't have any and place to go. And it's not like we don't have an example of how that goes. Uh, Poland's example he gives in an earlier Correct. chapter about accepting Chechen uh, refugees and that just became a huge problem for them culturally. Yeah. Um, and, and not that we don't want to interact with, with Muslims and we want, of course, to present Christ to them. Uh, but, but we're absolutely but, but you creating have, a time bomb if we let right. it get out of you, proportion. You, Correct. You've got to got have to have something to go by, and instead of just saying y'all come, and you know Germany paid them to come, and the crime rate went through the roof, rapes went through the roof, just all sorts of horrible, terrible results, and that's why Poland said, okay, no more. We learned our lesson, and we learned our lesson. And when they changed their view, they still took immigrants. They took uh, most of Ukraine's immigrants. Well, Ukraine, of course, was fleeing wartime for the last several years, and they bought in. They assimilated. They became Polish, and the uh, crime rate is down. Uh, the job rate is up. Unemployment's way down. Unemployment's way down. Yeah. It does work. When, yes. when you lovingly say, <laughs> if you're going to be with us, this you're going to act like us. Amen. It works. Well, and even if we're not just talking necessarily about becoming Christians, if you want to give refuge to refugees, you want to take probably the ones who need it the most. Right. And Christians are the ones who are being persecuted the most out of everyone in the Middle East. And they mentioned that Muslims can go to other countries in the Middle East because they're it's pretty they're much primarily all yeah they're Muslim, pretty much right. primarily so they're not going to necessarily be martyred mm. as the Christians are. They're, you know, escaping wars in their own country so they can just go to another country that's not in a war. But then the Christians, no matter where they go in the Middle East, are going to ha always have the chance of being martyred there. Well, and, and here's another thing. Let's be consistent. Mm -hmm. The southern border is wide open, no matter who you are. But yet we're going to tell these Christians that just because you can't make your way down to the south, you can't get in here? I, I, I don't understand that. I just do not understand it. Uh, so anyway. Okay. Chapter, next chapter. Chapter 21. How did this happen? So how did our current immigration situation happen? We quit uh, enforcing the laws on the books. Yeah. Yeah. And I really liked how it pointed out that it's not a... It's not just a bipartisan issue, as in like both the Democrats and the Republicans Abs are at fault for how we got here today. And the stated reasons in the book. Yeah, uh, Democrats want easy votes and Republicans want cheap labor. Cheap labor, yeah, yeah. And uh, so it, it, that's a problem. You know, it, I'm sorry, just because you think this will benefit your particular political standing doesn't make it right to ignore the laws on the books that are there to protect the nation as a whole. I mean, so now you have opened us up to a security risk in the name of either political advantage or financial, financial. advantage. Mm -hmm. Well, that's pretty close to the word corruption, you know, that I can think of. Mm. Well, yeah. I think our founding fathers would indeed agree that it was corruption. Right. It, we, in one aspect, I think we need to start thinking about and articulating the United States as a country, not as primarily an economic system or mm -hmm. a political party. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a nation because it stands for specific principles that appeal to all men and, and women, and, it, and we should be the example for that for the rest of the world. Um, fr freedom is only uh, strengthened and protected by a morality that's 
that's excellent. And excellent morality is the only thing that keeps freedom uh, workable. When you remove that excellent morality, uh, freedom is a, is a wood chipper uh, of, of human life. Um, so we should articulate ourselves as a Christian nation for that reason. We became uh, an economic powerhouse because of our moral stance. You could, mm-hmm. you could trust someone's commitment to fulfill a, um, an obligation. You, their word was their bond, that, that kind of thing. Um, and our, the, Amer- the U.S. dollar is only as good as the backing of the, the people of the United States. Um, our morality is, defines who we are. Not our economic system. Our economic system is a result of that. But, mm. And our political system is a result of that also. But it's who we are mor- morally and who we were in the beginning is how the rest of this came into being. Uh, the things that we have that people envy all, all are fruits of who we were. Amen. We, we need to right, and they can them. achieve those things in their own country mm-hmm. by applying the same moral compass. That's right. And the best way Americans can help refugees is to help in them in their own country. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cir- circumstances, I understand in a war-torn country that's not possible. Sure. But in areas where it's just a matter of economic uh, stability, starting to get somebody, uh, a country stabilized economically, we certainly can help with that. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that uh, years ago now. Some of the quote-unquote underdeveloped worlds they took some of our economic system and they applied it, but on a, just a smaller scale. So, you know, here we would go and get 100000 up to start a business or buy a house. Well, in a un- third world country, $100 gets you started. Small mm-hmm. fortune. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and so they, they basically took that system, you know, over to these, and, and it worked. And some Americans were the ones bankrolling those loans and the such. Uh, so anyway, the next chapter, we got time to get to that? Yeah, we got plenty of time. Oh, I did just want to kind of hit the, the numbers at the end here. So um, it talked about the Immigration Reform and Control Act in 1986, which was passed by President Ronald Reagan. Um, and it was granting amnesty to the five million immigrants in the United States. Um, and then, but so that's, that's how they solved their immigration problem in 1986. But with, with, with the five agreement million. that we're going to enforce the laws from this point forward. Correct. Yes. Right. But, but we didn't, didn't we didn't enforce right. the laws. So now we've got 11 million. Now we have at least 11 million in our. And he also, in the top part of that, he talks about there's an actual term when you do not enforce the laws that are on the books. Desuetude. Desuetude. And, and that's what we're doing. And, and it's ceasing it, to exist. And it has legal precedence. Yeah. So, so in my little mind here, we've got an issue now. If we really started showering down on these laws, some of these folks that have cut, they could sue us for enforcing a law that we haven't enforced, enforced for 20 before. years. We're in a mess. Yeah. We're in a mess. I don't know how this applies legally, but the thought has occurred to me that if if a, if the laws of the United States are only enforceable within our borders, if we don't have borders, do we have any laws? Mm. Right. That argument right. can also, that approach, that thinking can sure. worm its way into our legal system if we're not careful here. Yeah, right. 
And then the last one is why have borders at all, which might have been a good segue into that. Can, can I answer that? Yeah, please. Uh, and I was, let me, let me share a little insight to Brother Ben's small brain. It oh boy. thrills and excites me to no end when I come up with something that I find out other smart people are saying too. <laughs> Right. And not, not other smart people, but it happens. smart people, smart. right. And, and so I've been saying for years, borders are God's idea. Fences are God's idea. Nations are God's idea. Now, he doesn't say it in those words, but right. he gets that across, that this was, this, this was a biblical approach. We're going to have nations in heaven. Now, whether we will continue those separations, I doubt. But we will be known as Americans. We will be known as, but we're also Christians and we're brothers and sisters and the such. But, but nations have never been a negative thing in the word of God. Every kingdom and tribe, nation, tongue, and right. at Babel's when he started the right. whole process there. So every fence should just simply have a gate in it. And the gate is the Jesus principle. You know? The fence is to protect me and mine. Important things inside. That's right. That's right. Uh, but, but if there's room. There's room for more people. And here's the gate. And his, his name's Jesus. If and you're here to live like we live. Yeah, come on welcome. in. Yeah. All right. I think we're good to end there. We'll continue with the next few chapters next week. So I have a few more on immigration. Um, tonight, Dad is ending us with a word of wisdom. I wrote it down so I wouldn't preach. Uh is that which we'll we think satisfies? <laughs> is that which we think satisfies? That which truly satisfies? Every temptation is an invitation to worship the Creator instead of the creation. Good. All right. Thank you guys yeah. for coming. We will see you next week. Please invite your friends, neighbors, and relatives. Great crowd. Thank and you. And share on your socials. socials. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Socials. Socials.